Hey, Lisa, we're dropping your episode about Hong Kong. So much is changing there and so rapidly. And you've lived there for so long, but you're stuck in the UK now because of the pandemic. What's going through your mind? Hi, Fariba. Um, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to getting back to Hong Kong. But of course, uh, normality is not existing for anyone with COVID. But particularly for Hong Kongers, um, with the, all the rapid changes happening, I just feel quite sad about it, really. I think Hong Kong people have got a lot to deal with. Every day, something else is happening. Welcome to On Spec, where you'll hear stories that bring you closer to the globe. I'm your host, Fari Banawa. This season, we've been tackling fake news and getting to know people on opposing sides of the information divide, then bringing them together to find common ground, or at least try to. Today, we're taking you to Hong Kong, where propaganda and fake news have battered a city fighting to stay alive. Hong Kongers poured into the streets two years ago to protest China's encroaching control against their freedoms. Hong Kongers opposed to China's imminent rule, wanted guarantees that their democratic rights would not be seized. But a year ago, Beijing imposed a national security law that criminalized pro-democracy protests and landed most of the opposition in jail. The international community criticized police for using excessive force against protesters. Journalist Lisa Jane Harding reports through the eyes of a politician and a chef supporting opposing sides on how the protests split Hong Kong and what it means for the future of the city. A safe haven, a cosmopolitan metropolis, the Asian financial hub, Hong Kong's been called the lot, but the city of seven and a half million The place I've called home for most of my adult life is dead. That's how it feels for me and countless Hong Kongers, especially those who've been fighting for democracy. Hong Kong's new security law is in full force with arrests and a very heavy police presence on the ground. Police, in fact, have already detained at least 300 people since the law took effect 24 hours ago. Because after a year of mayhem involving protests, international sanctions and rapid changes led by China's central government, Hong Kong's ordinary way of life feels under threat. It is an extremely tough fight for Hong Kong in a small city of 7 million people. Our fight is our true enemy. It's not even the Hong Kong police. It's not even Carrie Lam. It is the largest and most resourceful dictatorial authoritarian regime in recent human history. And that says something. And we are talking about a regime with nuclear weapons. We are talking about a regime where they, 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 are, they, they, they do not have any worries in setting, uh, uh, opening fires to their own people using their own army. And that's the Communist Party. That's Avery Ng. He's an activist who's spent years engaged in what he calls the fight for democracy, 
But really, this is a fight to keep the things that were promised to Hong Kongers not long ago by my own country, Britain, back when it was a colony. This is the sound from a video of Britain officially ceding control of Hong Kong in 1997. A few thousand onlookers shield themselves from the rain with big white and blue umbrellas, and a lineup of British soldiers march into frame. Here's Christopher Patton last British governor of Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong people are to run Hong Kong. That is the promise, and that is the unshakable destiny. After more than 150 years of British rule, Hong Kong was to be run by Hong Kong. It was a lofty promise, but the transition was never going to be straightforward. British leaders handed control over to China, but created a joint agreement that was supposed to give Hong Kongers assurance that the rights and freedoms they had under British rule would remain in place for the next 50 years. That isn't how it's happening. Big protests erupted here in 2019 when Hong Kong's leader, Carrie Lam, tried to push through an extradition bill that would send dissidents to stand before courts in mainland China. Pro-democracy Hong Kongers said China was using the guise of national security to extradite anyone and everyone who opposed the government, activists like Avery. Sitting in this cafe in an area called Sham Shui Po, it's um, it's quite an old area. We're sitting in quite a interesting cafe with loads of posters of. Uh, how would you describe it, Avery? Well, uh, this cafe is uh, what we call a yellow shop or yellow cafe. So uh, it is a cafe that's uh, opened up by a pro democracy, uh, uh, you know, uh, boss. Um, Avery's an unassuming 40-something. He wears graphic tees and glasses. He's a familiar face to anyone following the protests here. He's been arrested several times for his activism, once for allegedly throwing a tuna fish sandwich at a local official. It's September 2020 when we meet at a crowded cafe in a working-class Hong Kong neighbourhood. There's a donation box for activists and the tables are filled with middle-aged Hong Kongers supporting the cause. Avery says that many people remember the umbrella movement a few years ago when young protesters used them to shield themselves from tear gas and pepper spray used by police. But it goes much further back. Before umbrella movement, there, there weren't much of a news of arrest uh, activists. We were the usual suspects. And you can count these people you know, with your two hands. Uh, after the umbrella movement, then we've seen a, a whole new wave of arrests, uh, you know, from Benny Tai, the university professors who... 
Avery just listed several prominent activists that people know. Now, most of them are in jail or exile. Tune recently, uh, the, the number of arrests is just uh, enormous. Uh, we are talking about ever since uh, for the whole of last year. The number of arrests is close to uh, 10,000 Hong Kong people, from young to old, from, from uh, uh, kids that are 11 years old to granddad who are in their 80s and 70s. So getting arrests, getting beaten up by police, is now becoming the new norm of Hong Kong. The extradition bill was withdrawn four months after protests started, but demonstrations continued as the pandemic hit. Police responded with the type of force previously unseen in the city. Then, last June, China imposed a sweeping new national security law to quash dissident voices right here in Hong Kong. Dissidents charged under the law could now face up to life in prison. Beijing authorities insisted the law was targeting a minority of extreme activists guilty of terrorism, subversion, secession and collusion with foreign forces. Those are big crimes that few Hong Kongers have ever committed. That's just one way China has tried to influence change here in the last two decades. It's impossible to separate what's going on now from the historical roadmap that set it all in motion. For me and a lot of people that live here, it's personal. That's me at a friend's birthday party in Hong Kong. I moved to the city in 2002, not long after Britain handed Hong Kong back to China, and I see myself as a sort of adopted Hong Konger now. I'm a permanent resident, and my daughter grew up here from age eight. I've sat in Dai Pai Dongs, which are cheap outdoor Chinese cafes, attended Hong Kong universities. My community is here and is a rich tapestry made up of people born here and from all over the world. And there are plenty of others just like me, because Hong Kong isn't just a cosmopolitan city, but a transnational one that draws people from all walks of life from all over the world. Even now, it's a safe haven for people fleeing from other parts of China and it's a conduit of trade between Asia and the rest of the world. In fact, some would claim Hong Kong is so pivotal to China's rise on the world stage that it would not have been possible without it. So, how is China handling Hong Kong now? While Hong Kong is part of China, it has its own government. The city has its own mini-parliament that pushed through legislation. But Beijing has unofficially stepped into that role. Now Hong Kongers are just trying to maintain basic rights like freedom of speech and the right to elect officials to protest 
oppose government legislation and hold dissident views. Pro-democracy politicians used to be able to hold enough parliamentary seats to have influence over decision-making. They were gaining a lot of support ahead of elections last September, but elections were postponed because of the pandemic, and China rewrote the city's electoral system so that directly elected officials made up a smaller percentage of the legislative body. So, even if Hong Kong's opposition does have widespread support, they won't have enough seats to have any real power. And, under the new security law, all of those pro-democracy lawmakers are in jail anyway. Beijing, renowned for its use of propaganda, has waged a widespread campaign of misinformation about the protests through social media and state-controlled news outlets. China says these protests were sparked by foreigners in a plot to separate Hong Kong from the mainland. But most Hong Kongers are not looking to be independent from China. They're just concerned because they've grown up watching other parts of China lose their autonomy. Like Uyghurs in Xinjiang, who find themselves en masse in China's so-called re-education camps. Avery said he lived in mainland China for 12 years and has no issue with Chinese people, just their communist government. People have to really realize, and not just uh, the Western world, but even locally in Hong Kong, uh, it's very easy to get it all mixed up uh, and emotionally confused. What we are experiencing, what we, what Hong Kong people hate, is the authoritarian regime of uh, CCP. But fake news can emerge anywhere, even within the pro-democracy camp. Rumours of police killing protesters were rampant, and the ambiguity of the situation unfolding in Hong Kong left people blaming each other. I think that's why Avery is so well-received within the pro-democracy camp. You can tell that he really wants to get to the bottom of why his city is the way it is now. Avery and I head out to walk from Sham Shui to Prince Edward and Mong Kok, the area where he grew up. It's a normal scene of everyday Hong Kong, full of high-rise apartment blocks and cheap shopping districts. A man recognises Avery on the street and stops to say hello. He puts one hand up like he's waiting for a high five. On the other hand, he holds his index finger up. Five demands, not one less. Avery tells me it's a slogan used by pro-democracy activists. I ask him to explain. And that stemmed from the uh, last year. Uh, the five demand is uh, the withdrawal of the extradition bill, uh, the release of all political prisoners, uh, to uh, withdraw the characterization of uh, the protests as uh, riots, uh, and to uh, set up an independent commission of inquiries for police brutality, as well as genuine political reform for universal suffrage. When the extradition bill was withdrawn, activists did see one of those demands met. One, one demand answer uh, for a few months, and then in, in response, uh, we now get an even harsher bill of uh, national security law. But that law essentially makes extradition unnecessary because activists charged under it can now be tried right here in Hong Kong. 
All of those changes have left Avery feeling like the movement has had no choice but to change. The peaceful movement became marred by violence, with mass protests turned upside down by the harsh crowd dispersal methods of the police. Many feel it was a deliberate campaign by China to make the movement and its demands seem unreasonable and paint the protesters as aggressors fueled by foreign interests. Here's a clip from CGTN. China's English-language state television aired a month before the national security law was imposed last year. A number of intertwined forces were behind the violent protests in Hong Kong. At the forefront of the violence in the streets were the radical protesters, along with others who were simply dissatisfied with the status quo. Behind them were the anti-China forces in the West. Chinese state media paints the most prominent pro-democracy voices in Hong Kong as CIA agents or instigators who are taking money from the West to create unrest in China. Protesters deny the charge and say there's no proof. Twitter, Facebook and YouTube are banned in mainland China. But the Chinese government has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars buying followers, creating a sophisticated social media army to push its own version of the protests. Social media companies removed thousands of accounts, but the disinformation had already taken on a life of its own. Just as the protests were taking off in Hong Kong, China Daily and Global Times, both mouthpieces of the Chinese Communist Party, said they had a video of protesters using an American-made grenade launcher. This was fake news. Then, Hong Kongers were outraged after an Indonesian journalist, Verbi Inder, was shot in the eye by a rubber bullet. Chinese state media falsely claimed that she was a paid protester. Avery has his own examples of disinformation too. Um, there, there was a, a rumour uh, circulating on the internet or in the WhatsApp groups in that there's an unnamed, unidentified uh, young underage girl who's been duped uh, or, or conned into uh, supporting the movement and become one of the protesters. And she has been also uh, conned uh, to offer free sex to other young protesters uh, in, in order to attract uh, more, more support and build the momentum. Now Avery heard this rumour for the first time last year when he and a pro-China lawmaker named Fanny Law sat together in a radio interview. She started talking about the story on air. Avery sat in disbelief. And I heard um, Jade or somebody who was talking about free sex. I think we have confirmed that this is a true case. So it, I'm so sad for these young girls who have been misled into offering free sex. And, and, and I think this is the time that we should lower the temperature of the community rather than continue to incite anger and emotions. This is not just a dis disinformation or trolls on the internet. This is an ex-secretary of education categorically confirm or verify through her mouth at least that some of uh, no, this this thing is real that their strategy is very simple they do not uh, they do not need need to win the information war 
they just want you to uh, uh, lose in the information war. So they will just keep on flooding this disinformation to crowd the narrative, uh, to stop people from further support the movement. Avery says it's not that China needs everyone to support their communist government. They just don't want people to support the protests. Disinformation is a tool to make people turn their backs on causes they might otherwise have supported. And the less transparent authorities are, the more the opposition is prone to believe the worst rumours. The thing is, you know, after what, a year already, because there's a lack of thorough independent investigation, then these uh, conspiracy and uh, theory and rumour popping up uh, you know, from on the internet that, oh, the police uh, has been doing secret beatings and killing of, of protesters. Now, there's something that, that, to be honest, doesn't really help the, the movement, but in fact, fuel the frustration and the agitation of the movement uh, in, in the long term. Not all Hong Kongers see China as a problem for the city. They think protesters went over the top and they just wanted to see things return to normal. That's how Jackie explained it. He's a chef from Hong Kong. He used to live in mainland China. He asked that I not use his last name because he's worried about speaking about these issues publicly. He works in a restaurant on an outlying island. I met him outside his restaurant last year. He's a stocky man in his late 40s, about the same age as Avery. He's always smiling and dressed in overalls for work. He's obsessed with finding new Western dishes to cook and has picked up most of his sometimes broken English from working in kitchens with foreigners. I ask him what he thinks of the protests. Sometimes, uh, if some people, they don't agree them, they will hurt them. They will fight, they will... Uh, you, you know, even last year, they have one people, um, they burn the people. You remember, this is really inhuman. Jackie is referring to this incident captured on video. Protesters are seen arguing with a local Hong Kong man who's against what they're doing. Then a protester pours gasoline all over the man and sets him on fire. The man was badly burned, but he survived. And it's this kind of violence that Jackie says prevents him from supporting the movement. Jackie says he doesn't entirely disagree with the premise of the protests, but he thinks that they were destructive towards his city. He doesn't believe students could do this type of thing. They broke Hong Kong, you know. So I asked Jackie how he would feel if Hong Kong was put under the same restrictions as the rest of China, Things such as the internet, if that was censored, and if Facebook, Twitter were blocked, just for starters. He says even if China has more influence here, he doesn't think Hong Kong would ever be treated like the rest of the country, meaning Facebook and Twitter and all those things will stay the same. He thinks that the only thing that really matters to China is keeping Hong Kong. I, I think China is one thing you don't separate them. They, they don't care what you, what you do. It's one thing, you, you can't separate China. It's the most 
important problem for China. There are a very small minority of Hong Kongers who do want to see the city as independent entirely from China. But you could probably count them on one hand, and Avery and protesters like them are not among them. Still, China has used this tiny group of hardliners to pass sweeping laws that have pulled everyone into the fold. Jackie genuinely believes that China will not threaten his freedoms if Hong Kongers quieten down. For me, politics, I, I don't care. I, I, I don't care. I just want in Hong Kong, um, just have a job, just uh, I, I can make some money. Um, when I have holiday, you, you, I can go everywhere, maybe Japan. For me, it's so, so easy for me. But in, in last years, you every day watching the TV, all the news, okay, you hurt me, you hurt me, and burn, and, and, and going to big time, everything. Make me, even I, 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 I support your thinking, but how I support you, you did so many things like that. So this is very deeply complicated question in Hong Kong. So that's why no future. <laughs> that's why Hong Kong I can't see any future in Hong Kong if one day Hong Kong citizens still still opposite of China we never have future he believes the protesters aren't really worried about the future of the city but wonders instead whether foreign powers are paying them to agitate China's central government. I, I want to ask you, uh, do you believe US have some people, they are going to do something in Hong Kong to make Hong Kong uh, always opposite with China? Do you, do, do you think uh, US will do this? Jackie says protesters don't seem to be working, so he wonders how they have the resources to protest for weeks at a time. It's important to note that many of these protesters were students and that most of the intensive demonstrations happened during holidays. Jackie says he gets a lot of his information about the protests via social media on his phone, which supports his theories about protesters being professionals paid to stoke tensions with China. Still, why low, low, low people talking about this question? I don't believe every day have Hong Kong people spend so much money uh, to bring all the equipment. So must be have uh, some big power behind behind we we left alone. I challenged Jackie on the idea that foreigners were behind the protests by bringing up a well-known example of disinformation by Chinese state media. During the protests, state television ran a video that showed footage of an ABC news crew and their van that they said were foreign agents. After that, it became easy to accuse foreigners, like me, of being spies or agents, even though Hong Kong's very foundation is multinational. I wanted to see if Jackie could see where I was coming from. I'm British. I've been here for 18 years. If I, if I think I'm a Hong Konger, which you can argue yes or you know that's a possibility as someone who is uh, not born here but if I have a political view and then go out onto the street and protest not I'm just given a hypothetical uh, scenario that doesn't mean that's foreign that's foreign forces that's foreign collusion 
because I've chosen this as my life, as where I live. But you know yourself that Hong Kong's made up of so many people from different nationalities. Yeah, 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 yeah I know, I know, I know. When I started reporting the story, the national security law had already been imposed. It took months to convince Hong Kongers to talk. Avery has a cause and a public voice, but knows punishment can be harsh for speaking out, so even he was a little weary. But for someone like Jackie, who's kind of shy about his English and not so public, this was an even bigger deal. Still, I wanted the two of them to talk to each other. I thought maybe it was a chance to at least dispel some of the worst rumours many Hong Kongers believe of each other. They agreed and we all sat down together in a studio. I asked Avery to explain what it felt like to talk to a Hong Konger like Jackie. Um, I have always believed that most Hong Kongers, uh, though we may have different opinions, um, most of us are striving for the same thing, you know, a better livelihood, a you know, safe society, a respect to each other. Um, but one thing that strikes me over the past year uh, is that because of the political, political divide, uh, the government and the CCP, instead of resolving the issue uh, politically, uh, it used the police force as a tool and then together uh, with uh, their own political agenda and movement to uh, further divide the society. Jackie explained what the past year had been like for him. Well, you know, last year is very bad years in Hong Kong. So every time I'm watching the TV, so it's, uh, I, I'm watching the TV, so feel so sad why Hong Kong come like that. Uh, I know I know the, the protests, they want to... Uh, uh, Ask uh, governments something. Uh, for me, I I really support they going peaceful uh, to do something and let government know. But it's not like last years. They they back the empty house station. They they uh, all the trafficking is is uh, stopped in Hong Kong and they they injure the people. They hurt the people. This that this, this the one not I I want I I I don't want that they they going to do that. But they they. I think we can have a peaceful, um, we can use more peaceful method to, to make government uh, notice what they want. Um, I'm saying, I'm, I'm not really like, uh, say government, everything is right. But um, it's, it's the thing, protests, they do something is uh, last year so inhuman, so uh, maybe uh, to make me not support them. Jackie's talking about a few well-known incidences of vandalism that took place during the protests. Avery pushes back. Now, uh, I can understand uh, your, your, your view. Um, and it is a, I can say it's mostly made of misconception. Now, let me explain. It, I'm not saying that there wasn't any violence, uh, or even from the protesters' side. Uh, but... When there's any any of these uh, social movement or even large protests, uh, the media would tend to focus on the more confrontational 
dramatic scene. So that gives people like Jackie even, uh, uh, if you are not participating or you are a bit removed and just getting your information from the media, then immediately you've got this um, singular idea on, oh, it's turning violence. But in fact, it's only a minority of the protests. I asked Jackie about the national security law, which potentially criminalizes even peaceful protests. He says he personally doesn't have anything to worry about. You know, the national security law, everywhere I have. But for me, I don't worry about, about we, I, I, I don't worry about in Hong Kong, I don't have freedom to speech. Uh, to, to speech. I, I still thinking even China control Hong Kong. I still can do everything. I don't believe Hong Kong, no Facebook, no, 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 um, no in, uh, um, YouTube. I don't believe that. Jackie says China will change the way people want it to, but it will be a step-by-step protest and thinks that protesters should be patient. I mean, I, uh, the observation I've been making over the years that Jackie's view is not unique. Um, there's a lot of uh, these, um, I wouldn't even call it pro-China or pro, uh, sort of like, uh, again, conservative voices in that they are more optimistic or trust uh, in trust uh, to, towards the, the CCP. Uh, and also hoping that in time, things will improve inside China. And also in time, they think that the, Chi- uh, the Chinese government wouldn't take away our freedom like uh, what they've been doing in China. But if you look at it carefully, it's sort of like a, a wish, a wishful thinking, like you cannot prove it right or you cannot prove it wrong. Avery says the national security law is proof that Hong Kong will only become more authoritarian. The reason for the government to grab its power uh, to to uh, to have national security law is not for pure power's sake. It is that they ha- they have the ability to control the power in terms to control the resources of these cities and the future of the, the, the Hong Kong people. With our history and with our you resources, know, you know, it's so kinda, important. You know, in China, they most worry about Hong Kong. Uh, they are so sensitive. Those, those so, uh, China is so sensitive to Hong Kong citizens. They can't let Hong Kong citizens always say separate in, a, uh, in one part in China. Mm-hmm. This is in, impossible to, to... Why? Hong Kong, the history, you can see... You can see the history. It's hundred percent a part of China. You know, British just they fight, they win the they, they win the war yeah. and decide the country. Yeah, but what what I, I know, but what what my question why is that? Why are they so afraid? Neither Jackie nor Avery want to see Hong Kongers lose their freedoms. The question is whether Beijing can be trusted to guarantee those rights. Which country can let like a. Uh, uh, one tongue to separate uh, one country. Which country can can you you, you see spring? You see so many things. Uh, North North uh, Korean and and South Korean. You 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 can see they also fight. Is it one country? This is in um, in a big country. This is impossible yeah, to, yeah. to. But again, why are they so afraid to the point where they have to arrest people, lock people up for just saying? I th- for my thinking, if Hong Kong. We don't have last year's protests to like this question come out. I still believe one country to a system. Mm. Why after fifty years Hong Kong can can control Hong Kong? Mm. I still believe. But you know, 
this is really big change um, in last year. Mm. So it's very deeply questioned. You understand, yeah? yeah? Jackie says the protests eliminated any chance of China letting Hong Kong enjoy its special status. But Avery says China is the one that forced things to change and has convinced people like Jackie that the protests are about making Hong Kong a separate country. It's the same rationale China uses to explain its re-education camps for Uyghurs in Xinjiang and its policies against Buddhists in Tibet. It's not about punishing anyone there, China says, but rather it's about keeping the country together. I understand. Now, there's two issues. One is we have to switch it around. Uh, China has always been very clever in playing this political uh, divide and sort of getting it, 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 their supporters to blame the victims. Like, if you don't do this, I will not punish you. If you don't say that, I will not arrest you. Uh, and also, uh, it's very clever in framing the actual movement. Remember, the whole of last year movement had nothing to do with Hong Kong independence, right? People have to remember that. Now, obviously, in the March, you may see some people waving the Hong Kong independence flag. But again, it's one flag amongst, what, a million people. But the Chinese government and the, uh, the Hong Kong government has always been very clever in just framing everything. Uh, every discontent is just a source or is an excuse for for separatists, for, for challenge of sovereignty, which for them is very convenient to dismiss any other issues. And, 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 and that's why naturally, even Jackie, when, when we were starting this discussion, all of a sudden you suddenly jump to the question that you know, Hong Kong is part of China, so Hong Kong cannot be separate from China. But the thing is, I never said that. It, it, it was never been uh, the core of the issues. But that is why they frame it in such a way and then further divide our Hong Kong. Protests were stamped out shortly after the national security law was implemented. I travelled back to the UK in December to spend Christmas with my daughter, all grown up now, who's at university. I'm still here, caught up in a Covid flight ban back to the city. In January, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson responded to the changes happening in Hong Kong by launching a special visa programme for Hong Kongers. It could pave the way to full British citizenship, he said. But critics say it was too little, too late. Many of those born after 1997, when Hong Kong was separated from Britain, would not be eligible to apply. China has pushed back, saying the UK is meddling in its internal affairs. It says it will not recognise passports of people trying to take advantage of the new scheme. One day I heard Avery had been detained briefly by police. I asked him how he felt and he responded on WhatsApp. Well... Since the recording of our interview, more and more people in Hong Kong were arrested um, by the authority on the accusation of breaching the national security law, uh, including basically anyone uh, or all the candidates who participated in the 
democratic primary election, uh, including a few of our members. Uh, and at the same time, we are just you know, dealing with the uh, dying of the city uh, a day at a time, I guess. Uh, so nowadays, I'm spending my time between you know, courthouses and uh, street stands, uh, try to keep the noise up uh, in this uh, desperate time. Avery doesn't plan on leaving Hong Kong anytime soon and Jackie said that one day maybe he'll move to mainland China. Many others who are unhappy with the changes in Hong Kong have already left. Some in the pro-democracy movement have left on British passports. They're now in exile. Sitting here in the UK, things now seem increasingly hopeless in my adopted home of Hong Kong. Every day my friends there share a relentless stream of bad news sent on encrypted social media messages, messages of concern, sadness, confessions of depression. It's an effort to hold on to some hope that things will get better. Many of the things that affect my friends there directly, like losing their job or having to think about leaving Hong Kong and their families behind, will never even make the news. But Hong Kong still has its own identity, a language, a culture, a unique way of life. And the values that were so familiar to me when I first arrived are very much still alive. For OnSpec, I'm Lisa Jane Harding. Listening. The breakneck speed of change in a stable and wealthy city like Hong Kong is, quite frankly, scary. But it's not new to me. I don't know much about Hong Kong, but I watched my country, Afghanistan, fall to communist control in 1978. And we know how that's gone. I'm not saying Hong Kong will end up like my birthplace, but the tactics used to convince people that communist control is good for them are similar. Lisa, I hope you can go back home and continue to report on the unfolding events. This episode was long in the making with editors Omar Farouk, Alisa Resnick, Margot Ben, and me, producer and sound engineer Oscar Durand, social media Luke Rin Piper. The music was a treat by Yumchek, a project that harnesses the audio onslaught of Hong Kong and warps it into songs and soundscapes. Every element of the music stems from original field recordings of the city. Stay up to date via Yumchuk's Instagram at Yumchek, that's Y-U-M-C-H-E-C-K, or head to YouTube for music videos and short films and find music to download on yumchuk.bandcamp.com or stream in the usual places. Our next story will take you to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where doctors try to dispel fake news about COVID-19 and traditional herbal treatments. If you like this story, please share it with your friends and don't forget to tell them about OnSpec's Patreon account. Till next time.